Continue. Listen to Natty News. Welcome everyone to another episode of Natty News, the nattiest news show in the world. I'm Andrew Danani, and I'm joined with my possibly half Natty, Pat Wu. Pat, how are you doing? I'm good today. How are you doing? Doing good. I have actually a little fun story. Uh, I went to the gym today and when I was working out, I could tell someone didn't listen to our last episode about the Ten Commandments of gym etiquette. Do you know what I saw, Pat? Um, somebody didn't put away their weights. No, see, I, I actually don't even notice that. That happens so often, but this was an interesting one. It was someone taking up a bit too much equipment. What happened was this person, uh, and, this, and this was like pretty busy time in the gym, like we were near capacity. What they had done is they had taken two benches and then put in a mat between them. And now they weren't using the two benches. The benches were holding their gym bag and water bottle on it. And they were working out in between it on this mat. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they, they need to. I, I we need we need Nanny News posters. You just gotta start sending that to people. My goodness. Airdrop. Yeah. Oh man, I I was kind of astounded by kind of the ridiculousness of the situation. But hey, you know what? I'm just gonna say that people have been out of gyms for a while. People have lost their gym etiquette, and like you know, it's gonna be the same thing for social situations when everything opens up. It's gonna be so awkward trying to talk to people again in person. Well, all the more incentive if you listen to our last episode, share it for the for the good of the world in the gym. Share our episode. Yeah, because like we mentioned, if you actually don't follow the natty etiquette laws, you actually lose your natty card. So you're no longer natty, even though you don't have those fake natty gains. Oh, and that'd be very unfortunate. Please follow the natty rules. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you hate to see it. Anyways, today, Pat, we're gonna be talking about compound movements and why you really need to only focus on five of the current movements. Now, as our listeners know, you and I, we're really pretty much all about those compound movements and a lot of barbell-based programs. Can you maybe tell the listeners, what do we mean by compound movements and specifically, what are these key five movements? Yep. So the term compound movements typically refers to multi-joint movements so for example a bicep curl which works only through your um, elbow joint is a isolation movement we would say or a single joint movement whereas something like a pull-up where you have to move through uh, your elbow joint you stabilize through your wrist you move through your scapula um, and then you're also getting your legs engaged because they're contracting to keep you from moving a lot of muscles getting going and that's what we call a compound movement Nice, nice. And so now that we have the definition of the compound movement, people often hear, and I've started hearing this term a lot about kind of like the five curve movements being the push, pull, squat, hinge, and rotation. Why are kind of like these five movements always kind of talked about? Right. So the theory behind them is that what's encapsulated by doing variations of these five movements will allow you to move um, pretty much all of your muscle groups. So it'll it'll be sufficient for you to build muscle, get stronger, gain power. And all of these movements are actually compound movements. So um, due to that, again, with limited time in the gym, you want to pick movements that are going to give you good bang for your buck and work as many things as once. So um, we definitely, um, as a trainer, and I think, Anwar, you would agree too, um, in any program, we always stick around these five key movements as our first priorities. And then we move around some other things depending on our other needs. Okay, no, definitely. Now I'm gonna be a bit of a devil's advocate. Now, if someone comes up to you and be like, hey, listen, Pat, I don't give a crap about my hamstrings. All I want is bigger biceps, a big chest, and some big shoulders. Like I don't care about anything else. So screw you and screw your compound lifts. I'm just gonna be doing side raises and curls all day. I mean, well, at the end of the day, it's just advice. They can do whatever the heck they want to do. <laughs> but there's, I, I would try to convince them otherwise. 
part of the problem with just doing those couple muscle groups is um, there's higher injury risk. We know that having, um, actually, I don't think our guys even doing quads, but having a bad quad to hamstring imbalance puts you at higher risk for knee, ACL problems and whatnot. Um, so there's, there's an injury risk factor there. On another side, if aesthetics is your goal, you're not going to look very good with big biceps and big chest. I don't understand the, I guess, the, uh, the Western-built preoccupation with chest and biceps. Having just big chest and biceps and no back and no legs actually looks a little bit odd and disproportional. So um, I would try to sway them through that way too. Yeah, man, I, I completely agree with you. I think kind of like an overall like um, athletic physique is more like appealing. Like, have you seen Reno from Attack on Titan? That guy actually has a gold physique and you can tell he doesn't skip any days. Is this our second week in the world referring to Attack on Titan? <laughs> Dude, I don't know what I can tell. I was I was pausing the new episode to do this. <laughs> More of a... Shout out to our friend and uh, his his like for the cart titan. Um, I think he if he was doing workouts, he'd be more of a fan of some animal flow, some bear bear crawl positions and things like that. Oh man, yeah, but no, enough of the titans. But no, I completely agree with you on that. And I think another thing too is honestly, just doing isolations is so time consuming. Because if you actually had to break down each one of the body parts and do an isolation from it, that would take hours. And man, I'm not in like high school. I can't even spend like two, three hours in the gym anymore. Like one-ish hours is all I normally get sometimes. Exactly. And and then at the end of today's episode, we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, the purpose of these for daily function, for sports performance, uh, rehab, and things like that. There's a lot of reasons, but I think we want to get into the into the actual movements now, right? Before we get in there, which one's your favorite? I'm just looking at them, and I definitely have ones I prefer to others. Which one do you like the most? Uh, it rotates through. I would say, hmm, it's not a certain winner, but I like pulls, and I especially like pull-ups. Yeah, see, pull pull has a soft spot for me because I do like my pull ups and I do like some rows and stuff. But man, dude, hinges! I I just I was made to hinge. <laughs> Put that on your LinkedIn. <laughs> made to hinge. Yeah. Well. Anyways. Yeah. Enough. Um, goofing around. Let's get into it. So the very first one, push. So now push movements, pretty self-explanatory. It's whenever you kind of push the weight. So that includes your bench press, your overhead press, your dumbbell incline press, your push-ups, really anything where you're kind of pushing and using those good chesticles and getting some good gains like that is basically a push movement, right? Yeah, that I think you, you covered it. And there's a lot of other fancy little new techniques nowadays. You can obviously do it on cables, on landmine, but... You got it. It's pushing all the way from horizontal to vertical with your arms. So I think a lot of people, when they go into the gym, and you can probably comment on this, there's a big imbalance because they do way too much pushing work, but not enough pulling work. Is that something you also find and see with your clients just like observing from people? I think it's definitely true. And, and as someone who studied kinesiology for way too long, it was something I started to think about um, the reason why. And I think Part of the reason why is it's such a, like the bench press in particular, is such a um, romanticized movement. It's always, it's always the one in movies, right? Um, every time there's a workout scene, Rocky Balboa, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, whoever, it's always bench pressing. So people think of that and it seems easy to set up. You just lay on a bench and you press. Whereas movements like pull-ups and rows, a little bit more technical. And, you know, I think people get turned off from it for that reason. And they choose to kind of stick with the one that seems and sounds familiar. Yeah, and I also think it's uh, the idea of also muscle activation because, like, when you do like a pull up, oh, actually, not even a pull up. When you do a row, you might not always feel like your back working from a rowing motion when you first start off. There might not be that mind muscle connection. But when you push something, like it just feels like you're doing work, and you maybe your triceps starts feeling a little sore or something. Like you start feeling those immediate results. 
yeah, it's a it's an easy movement to feel, even if you're not doing it with the greatest of form, you know, you kind of still feel your arms or chest. So I definitely agree with that. And I can kind of understand the preoccupation people have with it. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, again, pushing movements, Avon likes them, but what's your favorite? Like what's your go-to pushing movement? Yeah, I'll tell you my, my least favorite that coaches my on my program right now is, it's just a, uh, a seated shoulder press or a Z press where you sit on the floor. I, it exposes how weak I am and I hate it. My favorite is probably a, just a flat um, barbell press. Actually, you'll be surprised to hear that. But when I was a teenager, I think I learned to set it up pretty comfortably and well. And even though I'm not very strong, I can always do it without much warm up, And it always feels pretty nice after. How about yourself? Oh man, dude. See, I, I, I've mentioned a lot of times on the podcast that I'm going to get that three plate bench press, but I don't really like bench pressing that much. <laughs> and always, it just feels like it's never such a smooth, comfortable movement. And I, I never kind of get the foam right, but I feel super good on it. I keep on changing and just trying to find something more optimal. So not a huge fan, but I'm going to hit those three plates soon. Uh, but I think a movement I do really like is overhead press. I've been overhead pressing a lot uh, before the pandemic and even now with gyms open. I think it's also just because it's such a cool movement when you just, you're just literally pushing weight over your head and it just feels awesome. And yeah, I've really been enjoying it, even though I am still kind of pushing some baby weight from what you see sometimes on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's a badass movement. You know, the fact that less people choose it, it's kind of a, it's got a bigger learning curve. It's hard, but hey, hard work gives you better results, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, dude, that's the thing too that not many people do it because like nowadays people have been getting stronger and stronger. So I feel like, oh, you bench two plates. That really doesn't mean anything nowadays. But I feel like an oh, one plate overhead press still is a little bit impressive now. <laughs> Huge, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, no, but exactly. Pressing movements, pretty self-explanatory with the whole thing. Anything else you want to comment on them? No, I, I, I think I think that's good. It was good to hear two different perspectives. It's funny, the guy who Olympic lifts enjoys the bench press and the guy who used to powerlift enjoys the overhead press more. It's cool. I, I actually, wasn't the overhead press... I might have gotten this wrong, but wasn't just the pure overhead press in Olympic lift too, where it was like, there was three Olympic lifts and one of them was just overhead pressing without any leg drive. Yeah. And, and, uh, this is a great YouTube video to watch people would just lean back way back to get the weight. It was a standing incline bench press with no bench. Crazy. I've seen those videos, man. Oh man. There was an insane one. I can't believe I'm forgetting the guy's name. He was an American Olympic lifter who won the gold in the Olympics. And I think he did like five plates, a standing overhead press by just like leaning back. And oh, it was insane. Oh, you got to you salute him. <laughs> back hurts looking at that. No question. But man, that is badass. Like, holy, that's insane. Yeah. But anyways, enough of those tidbits. Now going on to my, uh, my preferable upper body workout, the pull movements. Now, polling movements, those are a little more intricate. Do you want to give a rundown to the listeners? Sure. Your polling movements in general, you got your vertical polling movements, which will include uh, your pull-ups, your chin-ups, and things like lat pull-downs and, and variations. And then on the other hand, you have more of the horizontal variations, which are your rows. And you've got barbell rows, penlay rows, dumbbell bench rows, you get there's cable rows and then in between those angles you know there's other ones people would do incline rows decline rows and whatnot now pull movements are really important both aesthetically and athletically in that they build up your muscles of your back the muscles of your scapula of which there's there's 16 of them the muscles of your uh lower back which is actually a huge muscle uh, extremely powerful muscles like your traps and lats, which cover most of your back. And they also work your biceps. So if you, you know, want those bigger arms, it's also a very good um, exercise there too. So yeah, can't say enough good things about pole movements. Yeah, no, pole movements are 
really enjoyable and fun to do but i have to say pat i think they are probably the most cheated movements i've ever seen like how many times have you gone to the gym and see someone doing like some rows like bend over rows and they're just like doing like using the whole body to swing the weight up or they're doing like maybe curter rep pull-ups like man people just they just can't seem to do full range of motions or proper motions with the pole movements yeah i agree and it's you know we know it's way harder to do full range of motion but you get so much more out of it we've talked in previous episodes about a full range of motion granting you um, better injury prevention and flexibility benefits so you don't want to miss out on that full range yeah yeah and i think so obviously we're big fans of pull-ups because I think pull-ups are pretty obvious about where the full range of motion is. Okay, is my arm straight? All right, that's the full range of motion. Is my chin over the bar? Okay, there we go. I've done the full range. But I think with a row, it becomes a lot more tricky. I don't. So I'm not a huge fan of like your typical barbell rows because of that kind of iffy range of motion. And it's kind of hard to replicate each rep. So I started doing a lot more of the pendley rows where it's kind of more of an explosive movement and really find like those are a better way to row. Yeah, the pendley row is a good one. I do find, and I think some others might might, uh, relate to this, Lower back does sometimes get a little jacked up because of that low position with the penley. And with bent over row, something I like to do uh, to make sure that you can kind of gauge your range is I kind of like to make sure that my hands start at the level of my knees so that make sure I'm hinged over enough or you can go lower. And then when I pull, I usually find a target. If I want more upper back, I'll pull to my belly button. And if I want more lats, I kind of pull until I touch my hip. And I kind of gauge the way, uh, the range that way. You know, I'm just finding it a little funny that I'm the one who likes all the typical Olympic lifting lifts so far. Like I'm liking my Penley rows and my overhead press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, may- maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you should just start Olympic lifting. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day when I have the coordination to do a snatch without just smacking my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of going back into pull movements too i think another thing is people get way too reliant on like machines and stuff for their like pulling motion like um often you see people might using one to hammer strength one or one to cable uh row machines and stuff and i really feel it's a shame because i think pull-ups i mean not pull-ups sorry pull movement you can really work on a lot of explosiveness from a lot of these rowing and pull-up pepper movements yeah and something that can't be overlooked with pull movements is the ability to build your grip strength that is huge and uh, grip strength is really important there's some that will say it's tied to longevity but at the very least grip strength is tied to your ability to carry your groceries and everybody needs to do that and uh, yeah you know the ability to hang on a bar there's there's people that um, i think the overuse of straps is not a great thing right you want to start um, building up that grip strength and an easy way to do that is just by you know hanging on to dumbbells and and barbells and bars and just pulling oh and just doing like a dead hang and like a pull-up it just man you just your shoulders and your back feel so good after like a minute of that yeah and that's that's how i start them with clients who can't do a pull-up yet hey at least we can expose ourselves to grabbing the bar and hanging on there good good start so Pat, I want you to make. I want to see if you agree with me on this. But pull-ups are all ult- uh, the ultimate pull movement, right? Like, it, there's no debate on that. If you can do a pull-up, then you should do pull-ups. Yeah, I, I I can't disagree with you. I've been doing pull-ups for years. I wish I was better at pull-ups. You can never be good enough at pull-ups. It's uh, yeah, you gotta do it. Yeah, that's actually a good point because pull-ups, there's so much more of a progression to it too. Because first of all, you can start maybe doing like some of the um, smaller range of motion so you can do a full one. And once you can do a full one, you throw on some weights there and then it's just limitless. And then if you want to get fancy with some muscle-ups and other things, like such a versatile movement. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the gym to gain muscle, as you gain muscle, the pull-ups get harder. Um, if, you're a, if you're an Olympic lifter and you do big squats you got massive legs they get harder so yeah pull-ups will keep you honest 
Yeah, there's actually, you remember in one of our early episodes where we talked about Milo cl- um, climbing up the mountain with those two cows, right? So yeah. there's actually a second legend where to get super jacked, he tied the cows to his waist and then did pull-ups with them too. Oh man, <laughs> pull-ups are Milo of Croton approved. Yeah, dude, my boy Milo of Croton was doing 2,000 pound pull-ups. Oh man, that is amazing. This was before any Jew stuff. He is truly the greatest natty in history. <laughs> just, just, just got that, got that cow strength in him. <laughs> Actually, that's why I drink so much milk, man. I'm trying to be more like my boy Milo. <laughs> the goat. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I think we can both agree pull-ups are our favorite pull movements, but do you want to highlight another one you really like? Um... Let's see. I I do really like face pulls. I think they're a great little uh, rotator cuff movement. And <laughs> this has no evidence to it. But usually when I warm up and I get a good number of face pulls, I get a nice, satisfying crack in my upper back. That feels amazing. It, it does feel very restorative. And I, I agree with you on the pull-up completely. And I think my last favorite would probably be a dumbbell pullover, which... Might not be a compound movement, but oh, it's such a great lat movement. So love it. I actually don't think I've ever done a dumbbell lat pullover in my life. So I might have to give that a try. Yeah, if you got tight shoulders, it's a good pairing with, um, with your overhead press. Okay, I'm going to have to look into that. Mm-hmm. But moving on to another one, squat. And I think this is another self-explanatory one. I don't think really we need to tell anyone what a squat is. But there's a lot of different types of squats. And I would say one thing is people get too kind of obsessed with just doing back squats. And I can't, I, as I kind of get older, I feel like back squats aren't as important as people might think they are. Yeah, I, I can, I think, and again, I think similar to the bench press, the back squat is the one most people do because it's the one people hear about. It's the one people see people doing. And it seems like the easiest one to get as a gateway to get into, which is true. And I think that's why people are really, they, they just kind of stick to it. They never leave it. Yeah, that's true. And it's, you see it a lot, especially, especially on like social media and Instagram and YouTube, just insane back squats. Just um, a lot of fitness models and stuff. They might have one of back squatting. It's kind of funny because I remember when we were getting into lifting, squatting was so unpopular. But now I feel you see so many people squat. Like it's definitely got a resurgence. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think it shows that things definitely, the fitness space always changes in the number of years. Back then it was, um, I think it was, you know, definitely Matt Ogus again was such a, he was such a proponent of the full depth back squats that not a lot of people were doing at the time. I don't only think it was um, some of the YouTubers, but I think it was also just like the common lifter is just getting more knowledgeable every single year. Like the average person is just learning more and more about what proper training is. And like, obviously, squats are super important. Yeah. Nice. But, well, um, yeah. Should we get into uh, some of the types of squats? Yeah, for sure, man. Do you want to list some off? Yeah, I'll list some off. I'm sure I'll miss some so you can cover the rest. Um kind of just going off personal preferences but um there's the front squat obviously there's the uh the front squat well for those of you who don't know it's the one where the bar is racked in your shoulders you have your elbows up and typically a lot of people have it on um, their fingertips a bit it's the one used a lot by weightlifters there's the back squat high bar where it's on top of your trap muscles low bar where it's sort of halfway in between your mid back we've got goblet squats which I just learned was Anwar's favorite, where you hold the dumbbell, um, you kind of make a little cup with it, and then there's uh, obviously there's all the type of split squats. We don't have time to get into them. Dumbbell split squats, lunges, rear foot elevated, front foot elevated, and and then there's single leg squats that we haven't even covered, which is a great exercise, especially if you're quite strong and you're working out from home. Anwar, what did I miss? So. You missed, uh, actually, Pat, you were incorrect. The goblet squat isn't my favorite. My favorite type of squat is, without a doubt, desertor squat. Are you serious? 
Dude, the Zercher Squad is legitimately the greatest lift of all time. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, a Zercher Squad is when the barbell isn't placed on your shoulders, it's not placed in your back, it's none of that pansy stuff. What you do is you put it in this cusp of your arm, kind of where your bicep and uh, forearm intersect, and you hold it like that and then squat down and up. That's, yeah, it's an awful feeling exercise. <laughs> Dude, it's actually one of the most painful things I ever do in my life. Like, I actually don't do it much, but it is so painful. And whenever I see on YouTube someone doing, like, hundreds of, like, 500 pounds, I just don't know how to handhold up. Yeah, I, I think I remember um, Zach Tellender, who's a weightlifting channel I, I follow. Dude's, like, 6'4". He did a, I think he did a 500-pound Zercher squat at Juji Mufu's gym. That was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a great video of Eric Buchhagen doing them, too. And he, it's just insane, man. Some of the ways these guys do it, the intensity. But, yeah. Um, I actually have a serious question. Mm -hmm. Are lunges considered squat? Yeah, more or less. I mean, you know, the, the term squat was, was really just a arbitrary term that humans created to define it. I would say a deep knee bend and a lunge is definitely a deep knee bend. So yeah, we can categorize it as a squat. Yeah. And man, dude, lunges are great too. I think lunges are one of the, like the exercises that not enough people really respect or do as much as they should. And I am hundred percent guilty of that. You bet. Man, dude, I think I think honestly, weighted lunges were one of the main successes of why I could get my squat to higher and higher weight. Also, like you actually work on a lot of stuff. You keep up that good upper body posture. You're working on your grips. You're getting some good like uh, flexion in your quads, and it's some good stuff. And I'm always shocked that you never see many people doing lunges, except for maybe not to be rude, but uh, more middle-aged, senior people you see them doing, but us youngins, we don't lunge enough. Well, those middle-aged youngins know what's good, and that's why they're doing them. It's, you know what? We don't do them, I think, and I speak from personal experience, because they're hard. They're so hard. I, I had, I think, I just had at some point um, in the off-season three sets of 10 heavy lunges with dumbbells. I think I did 70 pounds. And I paired them with some RDLs and I almost threw up every week. I did them for, for six weeks. It's crazy hard to burn. And also when you get tired, keeping balanced off both legs, very, very hard. Absolutely, man. Yeah, no, I agree with you, but I definitely wanted to highlight that. I think lunges are like a dark horse that people don't do enough of. And even me, like I agreed, sometimes they're hard and I think like oh, I can skip them, but I, I really have learned over the years how important they are for like a full leg workout. I agree. And I think for actually for the average guy, because people have so many hip and leg and balance um, problems already. Um, I think it's so important to maybe even start with lunges. You know, I used to always start people with squats, but nowadays I always get all my people on a little bit of single leg or split squat type work to at least uh, start off on the right foot uh, to, to give a good pun on in terms of uh, maintaining some good leg balance. Kind of on a similar point about just like bringing up people's like uh keeping up like good form and all that. I really think that's why goblet squats, I like them so much because they're always a reminder about this is how a squat should feel like. Like when you do a goblet squat, you have to stay upright, you get really good deep depth. And like when I do my heavy squats, I always think like I should feel the same how I'm feeling in a goblet squat. It gives you like really a goblet squat. It's kind of hard to screw up the form on it. Nice. And Amor, you actually explain a really um, good motor learning concept and, and it's, we call it the, a constraints theory. And basically constraints is, is um, you know, our movements are determined by ourselves and our environment. And when you pick an object like the dumbbell and you do a goblet squat, it just kind of self-regulates you to do the movement properly. It forces you to do it properly and you don't need a coach to shout at you. It's going to make you do it right. And that's why I think Goblet squat or front squat is such a great way to start squatting um, in, uh, rather than a back squat in many cases. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And also, I guess more of a personal note too is with a back squat, I really do have a bad like. I don't, I it's, I've been working on it a lot, but it's always been that butt wink. No matter kind of like how I change my stance or work on different mobility, I always kind of struggle with it. So that's kind of why I moved over to the front squat. Is trying to just keep it upright positions a little easier without having my lower back round at the bottom. Agreed, agreed, and and you know. At my old age of 24, it might be me becoming a pansy, but, um, you know, if, if you don't need to lift extremely heavy weights and the back squat allows you to lift so much weight, and if you can get similar um, leg strength and explosiveness from a, a lighter option like a front squat or, or heavy lunges, I actually would probably pick that more often than not nowadays. Oh man, dude, I completely agree with you. I think oh, as in an old age, one thing I've also learned is I hate unloading weight, which also boggles my mind why people still leg press nowadays. Because <laughs> it's, it's lightweight and nothing but a peanut. <laughs> Shout out to that one Ronnie Coleman video where he just uses a 145 plate. <laughs> so good. All right, where were we? Should we move on to the next? Oh, actually, I do want to get, make one more note about this. It's like, I don't yeah. get why people do like leg presses and do like, oh, I could leg press 700 pounds. It's just silly, man. <laughs> There's <laughs> Nobody knows what four, 700 pounds on a leg press actually means. It, it probably takes some complicated, like I'm sure the machine takes off a whole bunch of that weight because of the mechanics of it. Yeah, man, no, but I agree with you. And kind of going to your other point too is also like it's good to maybe talk about why you're lifting. Like, are you planning to compete in maybe a powerlifting meet? Then yeah, you should back squat. But if you're not, really any kind of good squat movement where you can linearly progress and really does do a top uh, is a big compound movement. That's enough. That's all you need to do. You don't need to back squat to get a good leg workout. Yep. But and and if you but if you do want to back squat, I think it's Good to learn the other types because they're a great way of teaching you proper bracing so you can also perform a better back squat. Yeah, and also I feel like back squat is kind of hard to, for especially new people, it's really hard to kind of hit depth properly with like a tight to good form on a back squat compared to some of the other ones we mentioned. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, let's move forward to um one another one that you and i both really enjoy is the hinge movement now we're not talking about the dating app we're talking about hinging with your real dead real um romanian deadlifts our conventional deadlifts our sumo deadlifts just picking up some heavy stuff from the ground yeah yep <laughs> i don't know why i feel like i want to make a ronnie coleman reference here <laughs> but i just had an image of ronnie coleman deadlifting 800 pounds uh, <laughs> Oh, did you listen to, he, I think he mentioned this before, that he did that 800 pound, like, a few weeks before, like, a bodybuilding show. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know, he was, he was cutting and depleted, it's ridiculous. Yeah, cont contest prep, Ronnie Coleman deadlifted 800 pounds, like, that is just, that's inhumane. Oh, man. Everybody want to be a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to lift that heavy ass weight. But we will. Ah, <laughs> uh, good old Ronnie. But yeah, hinge movement. Us. What can we say about like deadlifting, man? Like, who doesn't like deadlifting? I mean, probably a lot of people. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to make this episode. <laughs> <laughs> True. I think I really think the big reason is people. I feel there's been fake news about deadlifting where people think that like, oh, if you deadlift, you're going to snap your back up and you're never going to walk properly again, which I don't think is really true. I think um, with deadlifting, if you do kind of maybe like go a little too heavy and tweak your back, it's not the end of the world where with proper recovery, you can be back at it. And then you kind of learn from that about maybe keeping more of a flat or straight back and working on your mistakes. Yeah, I, I mean, I just had a conversation today with another coach that I work with. And we just we discussed that, that deadlifts and squats, too, they got kind of thrown under the bus um, about how they can hurt you and cause you injury. Any damn exercise can hurt you and cause you injury. And we are actually learning more all the time about how not that the spine is is invincible. Obviously, it's not. But 
it is a very robust and strong structure and obviously it can be damaged like other joints but we don't need to make more of a deal of it like we'd have to we should load the spine to get it stronger it just needs to be done in a intelligent and progressively overloaded way yeah exactly and i think you're right about that too where any exercise can injure you and leave you in a bad shape and i think the deadlift has definitely gotten a bad rep about it where people just avoid it they're like man i don't want to snap my shit up at all i'm going to just avoid the deadlifts at all t- costs yeah oh yeah there 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 were definitely a lot of narratives a bunch of years ago about snapping your shit up uh shout out to the hodge twins for that one um but yeah, let's. Uh, should we get into some of the uh, variations that we like a lot? Yeah, for sure. How about you start off? What's kind of like the variations you like the most? Sure, and we didn't define what a hip hinge is, so we're we jumped the gun. So a hip hinge is essentially a, a movement that is happens predominantly at the hip joint, so hip flexion and extension. So some movements where you'll see this is a Romanian deadlift, which sort of looking looks like someone bending their butt back and touching their knees with the weight. Um, conventional deadlift where you pick something up from the floor. Sumo deadlift where you also pick something up, but your hands are inside of your knees. And I also think um, you got you to shout out the back extension machines, uh, glute ham raise, as well as my quarantine favorite, the floor hamstring curl exercise where you um, stick your butt up into a glute bridge and you extend your knees on, uh, with a towel on a hardwood floor. Uh, now, Pat, I have another question. Does the reverse hyper machine, does that count as a hinge movement? I think so, right? It it causes a, a hip extension movement, so I would say so. All right, because I love that stuff, man. Like, uh, I don't know how much you love, like, Westside and Louis Sim... Um, what's his name? Louis Simons? Um, yep, you had it right the first time. Louis Simmons? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much you like him, but man, the guy's a genius for that one machine. Like, if I ever get a home gym, I'm having one of those, no question. Yeah, I mean, hey, like, he's got controversial things, but usually the same people that that talk crap on all his accomplishments also have one of his machines. So, hey, you've you got to respect him even if you don't agree with everything, which I don't. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, that's a side note. But going back to, like, those hinge movements, so... Which one is your, which one do you kind of like recommend the most? Do you always tell people like, hey, you got to do your conventional deadlift or do you kind of maybe play around with it a bit? Yeah, I, my favorite really right now that I've been coaching, I'll give one weight and one uh, non-weight. Weighted option is definitely a Romanian, actually, it'd be a tie between the Romanian deadlift and a deadlift from blocks or like almost like a, almost like a block pull, but from below your knees. Cause I think, you know, there is more risk and also it takes more flexibility and a higher level of core tightness to pull from the ground, especially for people with weirder lengths, but having like a six to 12 inch block, oh, it fixes problems for people so much. It allows them to lift a bit more weight, um, especially if they're having a bit of discomfort. Like for example, my back was jacked up last week and I, put up some blocks and I was still able to finish my power cleans, even though I couldn't touch my toes that day. So um, that's probably my favorite uh, body weight. It's got to be that body weight hamstring curl. It's, it exposed, if you've got, um, if you've got kind of strong glutes and hip extension, but you have a weak ability to bend your knees, that hamstring curl will expose you so hard. Great. How about you? Yeah, I'm thinking so. I've kind of done like a transformation where when uh, back in like high school, you remember this is that I used to only do sumo deadlifts and my highest ever like pulls are still at sumo. And I think it was all more so that my body was just more, uh, more comfortable doing it or any so. So I could always hit higher numbers with sumo deadlifts. But recently for like the last maybe five years or four years, I've only done conventional. And I think the main reason kind of for it is because uh, starting university, didn't have as much time to uh, go to gym and was doing a lot more like internship applications and um, studying for finals and actually caring about school. And so my hips would get really, really like tight. And so warming them up for a sumo just took way too much time. So I just started doing conventional and then I started to really love conventional too. 
And now, uh, I think I mentioned before, is I do a lot of Romanian stiff-legged type of deadlifts just because I kind of feel like it, it's, a, it's good to kind of go back to those because they're simple and they just really just make your hamstrings and lower back just bulletproof. Like, I feel like if you can be really strong at a Romanian and stiff-leg stiff deadlift, that you can really be a lot more comfortable with going heavy on a conventional. Absolutely. And you know what the RDL trains that the regular deadlifts didn't train, and I had that problem because I didn't do Romanian deadlifts back in the day, was that eccentric component. You have to lower the weight with control. With the heavy deadlift, you sort of, you know, most people sort of just drop the weight, which is totally fine, but that means you lose that eccentric um, control component, which is, I think, very valuable for training. Yeah, that's an interesting about that. I also kind of feel like, because with like a Romanian deadlift, you're using so much of your lower back where, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would feel like a lot of reasons people get injured in the lower back is because we haven't properly trained it. Because most people spend all day sitting and they haven't really developed those muscles. So once we start putting some strain on it, it's kind of when that kind of like it gets damaged. I agree with that take. And I, I get questions from people that I train who tried deadlifts the first couple of times, they'll say, hey, I feel in my back. Is that okay? And I, I usually tell them if it's not painful, it's okay to feel in the back. It, it is a back exercise. You got to use your back, but you are totally right, Anwar. It's about taking your time, strengthening it, um, getting it stronger because we should be able to use our spines to help lift, but we need to first build it up and do it in a smart way and, and you know, not jump to those crazy max outs so quickly. Now, I do have a question where I'm not too sure about. Is it okay to get a lower back pump? Because I, I forget where I've heard it, but I remember I was listening to like a YouTube video and a coach was saying that when you're doing your squats and deadlifts, you should never have a lower back pump. That's kind of like an idea that you're doing it with wrong form and that you're just using way too much of those muscles that you shouldn't. Um, I think I don't agree with that. I think... I get lower back pumps whenever I have to do RDLs because when you do RDLs, yes, your hamstrings are under stretch and tension, but so is your lower back. It's stabilizing the weight and you're also doing a little bit of spinal um, extension just isometrically. You're holding that position, holding your core. Yeah, you can get like those are huge muscles. They're so damn big and strong. They're going to contribute and they're going to get uh, get a little tight. I think it's fine. So it seems some kind of like this common uh, theme we're talking about is this really promoting RDLs. Would you maybe even recommend for a beginner or maybe even like an experienced lifter to maybe take a break from just conventional or sumo and just maybe focus on RDLs for a bit? Yes, um, it's something different. And I think if you weren't very strong with your, with your eccentric strength, you'll be surprised how light you can go and, and how hard it's still going to make you work for it. Yeah, I've really been liking RDLs. Also, they're kind of like, I feel they're a lot simpler than conventional. And so it's just, you can kind of turn off your mind and just do the work. Yeah, 100% agree. Perfect, man. All right, you want to go on to our last one? All right, the last one, and there's controversy over what the last one's called, but it's commonly it's rotation, sometimes anti-rotation. And we define these as, as the exercises where you're working out of that sagittal plane of motion where you're just going up and down, um, or if you're laying down, just uh, pressing your arms up. It's motions where you have to do some rotation, but we also lump in those core movements in there, your planks, your, uh, your heavy carries, your leg raises. I would just lump the core movements in there usually. Okay, so this is kind of like your rotation movement you mentioned, but also just like any kind of ab exercise you people can think of. Yeah, it's not that serious. The name's not perfect, but it's okay. And see, here's something I don't really get entirely, is that we're talking about a lot, uh, when we talk about like current ab movements, what do you really think about like ab isolation? Because I always was... Uh, was told basically like hey if you do your heavy squats deadlifts overhead press pull-ups you're going to be engaging your abs so much to stabilize you that you really don't need to do any added ab work and like what's kind of like the common sentiment of that is that true is that just kind of the lazy fat man way out <laughs> um it's 
here's the thing. It can be true. I think in, in your very, very high level lifters, they, they're able to generate so much core tension, they might get a stimulus from it. But here, here are two things to consider. When you're doing compound movements, you don't, I wouldn't say you inherently activate your core. You kind of need to learn to do that at a high level. So for example, you'll see some back squatters who were never taught how to brace their core and they just, their back just goes mega banana when they go into it. So I don't think they're having a lot of core activation. The second thing, Anwar, is we know that to gain muscle or get stronger, intensity and a, a sufficient level of threshold is important, right? So while it works your core and it's being used, we don't maybe we don't know if it's enough of a stimulus to cause it to get stronger. So that supplementary work, you know, can help because we're only doing core there, it's gonna really make sure we get the stimulus if getting a stronger core is something that we value. All right, you've convinced me. I'm no longer going to skip my leg raises at the end of my workout. It's uh, among me, my clients, and my friends. Everyone is guilty of skipping the core work, but we really should do it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, enough about like ab exercises. I think people often hear about the value of curve, but maybe can we talk more about rotation? Because I don't do any rotational work. And before, when we were planning out this episode, I'm actually very curious of maybe what are some ideas of how you can throw in rotational works into maybe your standard upper lower workout plan? Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge expert. I also don't play rotational sports. So there's people better than me. But some of my favorites, just anecdotally, um, a plank rotation. So imagine a regular plank. You're going to keep your feet on the ground. You're going to raise one arm, uh, keep it at 90 degrees, and rotate to the side. So you actually get a good shoulder blade squeeze, and you'll feel kind of your core going. That's a great one. Um, another one that I really like is like a windshield wiper on the bar. I can't do that because I'm so weak at the rotation. But for those that can do that, that's amazing. And then the last one, I don't know if you tried this, is a landmine rotation. So you set up the landmine where it's at a 45 degree, you hold your arm straight ahead of you and you let it kind of drop down to your side by your hip and you rotate with it. And that's a good one because you get actually some rotator cuff and your hip rotator is going too. So, it, you know, again, that becomes a compound movement. So it's great. Okay. Um, when you said landmine rotation, that felt more like we're playing some type of attack or like battle than an exercise, but I have to look that into some of those. The plank one seems it. I feel like I've done the plank one with you before. Yeah. Yeah. I probably got you to do it with me before. It's, it's a good one. It feels really good. And, and, uh, for those of you who aren't quite as strong, um, I get a lot of people warming up with this to do it on a bench elevated or even some of my elderly clients, I get them to do it on the wall. It's, I, I almost get everyone I have right now to do that one. Awesome. And, and you also kind of alluded to it, but so like these rotational movements, these are more for like sport performance type of things. Cause of course, most sports are, um, they're a lot more complex than like linear motions we do a lot of times in gyms. Yeah, I think the ability to um, generate rotational uh, force and obviously most of that's learned in sport don't don't let me convince you that it's slow gym movements that do that but since we're doing that at high speeds and in, in some sports it's important to uh, strengthen your body in those ranges and be able to um, in addition to momentum actually have muscle that's going to resist um, that impact yeah i also just remembered do you know what a hurricane ball is uh no what is a hurricane ball so it's kind of like a really big bouncy ball. And so what you do is you put your back against a wall and you just like move side to side and then the ball bounces on the wall. You're trying to do it as fast as possible. Um, there's an old video of Elliot Hulse doing it while screaming about being an alpha man. And I just always remember that when I heard oh, rotation. Oh, and I, I, was, I know, I know what that is now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think you probably remember the video of it too. And now I, I'm curious now, is that a legitimate thing or is that just some silly movement? <laughs> okay, honestly, it's a little over the top, but hey, I, I think it works. I mean, it's explosive, it's rotational, you know, it makes you feel cool. It's, yeah, it's probably a legitimate exercise. I, I think it only works though if you breathe to your balls. <laughs> 
<laughs> definitely that that's the only thing that matters uh for those of you who do not know elliot house was this really old strength youtuber and he had a very famous video where he would instruct people on how you can breathe so the air gets all the way down to your balls and when i was 16 i believed that <laughs> yep i remember trying it <laughs> and Whoa. convincing myself this is the secret to a 600 pound deadlift yep that's what was holding us back man hey i think it's what's still holding us back we should get back into breathing into our balls <laughs> yeah <laughs> no. okay all right i think we're coming up on the hour so i think the last little bit we want to talk about is maybe on progression of these movements yeah sure so we talked a little uh, yeah actually we talked a bit about um moving from one of them to another like maybe starting with a goblet squad and rdl but maybe you can go a little more in depth with it yeah well i think also what i wanted to focus on is a lot of trainers online programs crossfit and whatnot will convince you the idea that those like extreme complex movements are the best ones for example a thruster which is a front squat and a and a press or a snatch you know people will say oh snatches are the best functional movement let me tell you from a weightlifter's point of view the snatch is not the single best movement you can do for your body if we're talking risk and reward and if you don't know how to squat deadlift press pull and hold your core please don't be doing heavy snatches yet like you got to master those other ones there's there's prerequisites. When you master those, it unlocks the ability to do pretty much every exercise in the gym, I think, in a safe way. What do you think, Amor? I mean, I completely agree with you. I think that's the major thing against CrossFit is that uh, the idea that CrossFit isn't, that injures people isn't entirely true, but it's the idea that you're taking an amateur who doesn't know the fundamentals and then making them do these complex movements. That's what really injures people. I believe it's like Rich Froning or one of the CrossFit champions, like his regular training is just like a standard like strength workout of like squatting, benching, deadlifting, overhead pressing. Yeah, exactly. My, you know, my, my train, my training partner really enjoys doing CrossFit, but she's been training for I think over 15 years, has all her lifts mastered, can be tired as, as crap and can still, you know, perform a deadlift properly. Those are the type of people I think will succeed and have a lot of fun. But if you've never worked out, oh man, it's it's so hard and there's not enough time to learn all the lifts. So I don't I don't really agree with that. Yeah, no, that's a good point about it, about kind of learning to walk before you run. Yeah, exactly. Um, not trying to do it all at once, not trying to walk, run, sprint, wall ball, and wall walk at the same time. Yeah. I think kind of like the synopsis of this episode is that honestly lifting weights is pretty simple like if you can hit one of these core movements every week so you do one push movement one pull one squat one hinge and now one rotation too that's kind of like the fundamental of most workout plans and really can get you a lot of really great gains and you don't need to overcomplicate it with reverse hypo bosu ball squat hinges yeah, I agree with that. And and hey, if you're wondering which one of those to start with, and you really don't have a coach, I think start with the one you can use safest. So, you know, again, if it's going to be floor chest press, if it's going to be cable rows, and and those are the ones you feel safe to do every week, then do those. You know, don't don't let anyone sway you that you have to do overhead squats or that you have to do overhead press yet, right? If if you don't feel comfortable, pick the one you're safe with, and you can be consistent with that and make your gains. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way of ending it. Any other last bit of comments, Pat? No, I'm I'm excited for the the Natty Hall of Fame, though. Oh man, I I am very excited. I actually of this person, I'm wearing his merchandise of his T-shirt, which I got. Oh man, must have been like oh, probably like eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this in the pre-show and. You you found out you were wearing the shirt after we decided on him. Yeah, like I, I was just wearing this shirt uh, because I got back to the gym and haven't showered, so it was my workout shirt. But anyways, enough of just uh, galloping around it. 
Today's Natty Hall of Fame is without a doubt a personal inspiration of myself, the legend himself, the Gandalf of weightlifting, Ben Rice. Oh man, Ben Rice is an, an underrepresented, someone who people don't give nearly as much respect as he deserves, but probably without a doubt one of the strongest natties of I've ever seen. Oh, 100% agree. It's, he is amazing. And um, I did look up his um, best total here. So I, I do want to announce, I really hope I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But I think his, his best raw bench press is 402 um, in competition, deadlift of 793.6, squat of 711 pounds for 1,879 pound total. Oh man, dude, those are some insane numbers. And like, I, I think one of the things about Ben Rice, the one of the most admir admirable things about him is that his consistency. Like, you go on his YouTube channel right now, he posts some of his like workouts he's done on streams, and it's just like he just does the grind, he puts in the work day in, day out. And if you sometimes catch him on stream while he's working out, you just see the guy, just he's a machine. Yeah, and, and, you know, it really speaks to, to the basics. He's not doing anything crazy. He's been doing these compound movements for so many years, and, you know, it's brought him to a 800-pound deadlift. It's amazing. And, and I think he weighs over 220, and he can do weighted pull-ups, so he's definitely mastered the, the basics. Oh, dude, yeah, he does weighted pull-ups. He does, like, um, muscle-ups without any problems or anything. And you have such a good point about that, just the fundamentals, because we used to start watching him when he was back working out in his college's university gym, and now he has his own garage gym and all that, but if you look at a video of him lifting from then till now, it's like the same movements, just a lot more weight now. <laughs> yeah, and, and hey, a new perspective now, now that we've both been through college, looking at how consistent he was with his training and that he was setting... Um, you know, USAPF uh, records and competing at the best of the best while in school. That's amazing. I mean, think about how our lifting was during our undergrad. He did. He was amazing. Yeah, not only that, but he was also a big, he was a competitor in an acapella group too. Like he did a lot of stuff as well. He wasn't just lifting. He had um, a healthy social life and was doing all these extracurriculars. I think the best way to describe him is this disciplined. 100% disciplined. And, and hey, he, I think he was really big on breaking that gym stereotype of, of your powerlifter needing to be mean and, and, and massive and imposing. Super nice guy, nice guy you meet, and nicest voice from an 800-pound deadlifter you'll ever hear. Yeah, no, you're completely right about that. I remember one of his early videos was he was talking about the mindset that whenever he goes and lifts, he never gets angry or like super aggressive during a lift. He was talking about how he wants to be in the same mindset. So it's not super relaxed, but it's not like yelling at the top of his lungs. It's like this consistent level of energy just to keep up to make sure that like every time he goes in the gym, he knows that, okay, I'm at this same consistent level and I can progress from there. Yeah. Oh, what a guy. And he's still going. So, you know, really, really wish the best for him. And hey, we wanted to get him on a on a future podcast. So hopefully he'll hear our shout out and uh, we'll have him on one of these days. Oh, dude, that would be a dream come true. I I'm sure he doesn't remember. But I my like, when I was like 16, 17, my routine would be I would go work out, there would be a new Ben Rice episode, I'd comment on it, maybe like, just tell him like, damn, dude, you're super strong, or just like, hey, I have a question. And he'd actually always respond, like, I would ask him questions, and he would give very good advice. So without a doubt, he was a huge impact. And yeah, nothing but love for him and his future endeavors. Right on. All right. Should we wrap it up for the day? Yeah, I do want to highlight one more thing too. He is really good at Dark Souls. I was before um this I I watched his video of him beating like one of these bosses with no hitch. And if you've ever played Dark Souls, that's a hard ass game. So not only is he super strong, but he's a pro gamer. That's why you call a pro gamer move. <laughs> yeah, but I I think that's a good point to end. So anything else you want to mention, Pat? 
No, this was a longer one, but hey, it is super important. So I'm happy for all of you that stuck around for the whole thing. Yeah, no, this was a fun one. Anyways, thank you guys all for listening. Definitely love our whole Natty community. And yeah, Natty News out. Natty News out. Hope you all enjoyed this week's episode of Natty News. If you'd like to learn more, be sure to check out our website, www.natty.news. As well, check out our Instagram, Natty News Podcast, and Facebook page, Natty News, if you want to get a bit more Natty information.